This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This book that I've been working on and I've turned everything and I've done all my copy edits, I've done everything, still not announced. And that was really hard for me. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Maria Fraser is a middle grade and young adult author with a heart of queso. She was born and raised in Texas, where she still spends her time turning every space into a reading nook. Her debut middle grade audiobook, Margarita in the Spotlight, is available now on Audible. So please welcome Maria to the show. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for coming on to share your story with my listeners. We are going to talk about your journey to publication, and we're going to start by going back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from then before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Yeah, so I was always very aware from a young age, the connection between writing and reading. Um, In fact, when I was in middle school, I knew that there was a gifted and talented English class. And I told my mom, I need to be in that class because I am gifted and talented in that subject. And um, so she was like, okay, let's learn about this. And she said, oh, it's not reading class. It's English class, but there's not a gifted and talented reading. I was like, no, mom, this is the one I need to be in. And ultimately back then, you know, gifted and talented was decided by standardized testing, not by creativity. So I didn't get in, but I was really aware of the connection between the fact that I was reading all the time and that I was a good writer, even though I wasn't really writing all that much. Um, I didn't really start writing fiction. I mean, there's stuff here and there, like for, again, back to standardized testing when I was in high school every year, our state standardized test had a narrative essay and I always just passed the narrative essay. And then my last year, I was like, you know what? They say that you don't have to get the facts right. They say you're allowed to make stuff up. I'm So I basically wrote a young adult short story for my um, standardized test and I got the highest score. So I kind of was always aware that it was something I could do. It was just not something I was doing. I was reading all the time, everything, especially young adult and middle grade. So when I was a little bit older, I um, had this story in my head that I really wanted to know what was going to happen. I kept losing track. So then I just wrote it. I started writing it down so I wouldn't lose my place in the story that was in my head. Um, But I didn't start uh, pursuing publication or thinking about pursuing publication until after I had graduated from college and I didn't have a job. I was just reading a lot. I think in the middle of the night, one day I remembered from the TV show, How I Met Your Mother, that the mother who is Ted's, well, anyway, I don't know if spoilers (laughs) been out for a while, but the mom from How I Met Your Mother was a children's book author. And it kind of made me angry. And I was like, huh, why does she get to do that? And I don't. (laughs) So 
you know, I, in the middle of the night, Google search, trying to figure out how to be a children's book author. And then the next day I was like, okay, I'll write it. I'll write a book. And, and it kind of started from there. Can you tell us a little bit more about the moment that you realized you wanted to be a published author and what you thought that might look like for you? Yeah, I think it was that I, I thought it would be cool to see my books on bookshelves or once I did get a job, I was working at the uh, Jewish Community Center in San Antonio. So I was watching fifth through eighth graders at that time. And so just kind of thinking about what they were reading and what they were talking about and that sort of thing and um, thinking about it being part of that. Nice. So you thought about the readers. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, how to go about it, all those different things. First, first I went to Google. That was my original. I, I Googled it because it was in the middle of the night and that was what was available. So, <laughs> that's what you do. Yeah, that's what you do. And so um, from there, I think I very quickly discovered Twitter, which was really good, especially in 2016. I think that was a really good place to go. I think that there was a the first hit on Google was a Writer's Digest list of agents that were seeking diverse books. And from there, I got to Beth Philan's website and found out about um, DV Pit. And this was when the first DV Pit was happening. And so Twitter was like a really cool space to learn things at that time. So um, that's sort of how I did not participate in the first DV pit. That was a little bit before I, I think it was happening right when I was kind of discovering that, but it was a really cool time to join writing Twitter for sure. And then from there, I think a lot of resources get, got shared and still hopefully get shared um, between people. And you can kind of go from there. So then what happened? Can you talk about your journey from there to signing your first book contract? I wrote a book that was the size of a chapter book, but the voice of a middle grade. And I think my middle grade voice is pretty prominent. And so it, it was like a, a very short middle grade or kind of a very middle gradey chapter book. So that was my first book that I wrote from start to finish and started querying. And luckily, I think for the, the speediness of my process was that there's not a lot of chapter book agents out there. So that query process actually didn't take that long before I had gone through every single agent who accepts chapter books. So during that time, again, this is right after the first DV pit, L.L. McKinney started a contest called WCNV, Writers of Color Native Voices, and I submitted to that, and it was like a blog contest, um, and I didn't get in, but everyone who submitted shared emails and that sort of thing, and the people who did get in um, from middle grade, I started, uh, you know, talking to them, and, and I more like you know, forcing friendship and being like, hey, like, are you interested in being friends, basically? So that was how I met Deka Herman and Mira Trahan was that they both got into that contest. And um, I also got a lot of feedback from like, 
other authors who were who were the judges for that contest saying, you know, this is why we didn't select your book. And so that was kind of the beginning of really kind of getting, again, being involved in Twitter. I learned about pitch wars and all this stuff. So I kind of was learning more and made my first friends. So that was really, that was really important was making my first friends. And during this time I was writing my second book, which was a real middle grade book. And in in that time I moved to a different state. I, um, I have the, the middle grade book all worked up. And so I entered pitch wars and I think I got three or four requests for my pitch wars meant for that manuscript and I didn't get in. Um, and so I say that because like my, my, one of my friends who I was going through that process with, she, um, got one request and she got in. Mm-hmm. And I've also like, when I was a pitch wars mentor, I think that generally, I don't know, I don't remember both times, but like really, really good books will get one request and get in and some books will, um, knock it in and, and, but a lot of people were interested. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Then I started querying that book in the summer to fall of 2016. And it was a little early. It, it And I think that because I knew that I could have used mentorship from Pitch Wars, but then that same book that could have used mentorship, then I'm like, okay, now that, let's send that out to everybody. Let's send, let's query that now. And I think I did do some cosmetic changes, but not a huge overhaul of the book, right? Between between that and between submitting to Pitch Wars and querying, I think I probably did some edits, but not a full revision. I think by this time, though, I think that I was very set, like, okay, like, I feel like I'm part of this writing community. I feel like I'm a writer. I changed my Twitter bio to say writer. So even on the days when I'm not writing, I'm still a writer. So I think that was really important too. And then in the spring of 2017 was, there was, so I, I did submit my book to the DV pit in the fall of 16. I did. And then I, you know, I got requests and I sent them out and nothing really happened. And then, and then the spring, and then, so this is the same book. And in the spring of 2017, I sent it out, um, through DV Pitt. And that's when I got a request from uh, my agent, Lauren Abramo, and I signed with her that summer. Um, And so that is not where it ends because (laughs) we did, um, and I moved back to Texas unrelated to writing, but um, so I was working with Lauren on edits and then we did a round of submission on that book. And then I edited it some more and then we did another round of submission and nothing, right? So we got a lot of good rejections. So I think I remember some of my, so even some of the first rejections that I got were, um, oh, wow, like send me the next thing Maria writes or um, just the things that the, the rejections on submission are really, are they're really heartening because it's you mostly are going to get the personalized rejections and it it feels like you're so close and that that people who are in this business like recognize that 
you are a strong writer and that you're funny and that you have great characters or whatever, right? So it is kind of nice. The rejections on submission are, I feel like, are are nicer than um, <laughs> queries because editors have less to go through. So they're not doing form rejections and th- they usually respond most of the time. So anyway, so that was two rounds of that. And so by that time, I had done a lot of starts and stops on different manuscripts, but I actually, when I um, signed with Lauren, I was like a couple weeks away from starting to query a different manuscript, um, which was called Gringo with a Guitar, but it later became Margarita in the Spotlight. So we took the manuscript that became Margarita in the Spotlight, and we took that on a round of submissions and nothing, right? So for the second round, Lauren included um, Audible because Margarita in the Spotlight has a lot of songs in it. And she thought, you know, this could be an interesting, this could be an interesting partnership because I, she knew that Audible was trying to do some cool stuff with audio and make it a little bit more than your traditional read aloud, just adding, adding more things. And she said, you know, I think they might be interested in this. So in that second round, she included Audible. And so um, summer of 2019 is when um, I found out that I got an offer from Audible. That fall, I signed the contract. Nice. And that was a Audible original, right? Yeah. So it's it's really cool the way that they put it together. And it was definitely something that had its ups and downs of trying to figure out what it was going to be. And they, they had different visions for it along the way. But the way that it turned out, all of the songs are sung and performed Mm. as part of the book and there's different singers playing different characters and it's just a really awesome event of a book (laughs) so it's really cool but yeah it's an audible original so um so that's an imprint that's part of audible where they publish their own that they publish things for the first time through audible and um, at least for this first six months, it's only available as an audiobook. So that's how that how that is. But it works just like a traditional um, publishing imprint in every other way. Yeah. It is time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Dear Miss Abramo, thank you for rec- requesting my materials at DV Pit. I am excited to share them with you. The tweet you liked was the pages between us plus friendship experiment. Mexican-American BFFs are separated from middle school and become mascots to stay connected. Hashtag DV Pitt, hashtag own, hashtag MG. When Taylor and her two best friends are zoned to attend three different middle schools, the girls are separated for the first time ever. Without cell phones or homes within walking distance of each other, they know the traditional ways of staying connected aren't going to cut it. So the girls decide to become mascots at their respective schools and document their adventures on a shared Google Doc letter. With secret identities, giant armadillos, crying babies, and puking co-mascots, the girls discover the life of a middle school mascot is one big adventure. Too bad, life apart is harder than they expected. Taylor loves being a mascot, but starting a strange new middle school all by herself is even worse than she imagined. When their plan isn't enough to overcome the distance, 
Taylor has to find a way to save their lifelong trio or risk losing it for good. Your favorite mascot is a 27,000-word contemporary middle-grade novel set in present-day San Antonio, Texas. This story is impartial epistolary told through a combination of letters and Taylor's point of view. Like the three main characters, I am Mexican-American and originally from San Antonio. I have attached the first 50 pages to this email. Thank you for your time and consideration. Nice. And you said you have things that you would change now? If you yeah, I would. So first of all, in the greeting, dear Miss Abramo, I don't just just do first name, last name. I don't think it's worth trying to guess people's prefixes. Just do first name, last name. And you never are no one. I know a lot of educators are listening to this. And that they are in school telling everybody, calling everybody by their last names and all this stuff. In publishing, you really, it's not, it's a first name business. So don't worry about that. The tweet. So the reason that the tweet was so short is that back then the character limit for Twitter was shorter. So pitches were shorter um, because that was what was able to fit in a tweet And then I will also point out what I noticed while I was reading is that there is a typo. I used the wrong there. And so, and I got an agent with a, with a query letter that had the wrong there in it. And so that was, you know, the point of the, of the query is not to show off that you, um, your grammar is really good because, you know, it's more about the story, but of course, if you can do correct grammar, do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have on my query submission form, if you make a small mistake, don't worry about it. Everyone makes mistakes. Yes. Because I was starting to get messages. It's like, oh, I have a typo here. And like, it's fine. Don't, (laughs) there's no need to message me about it. Yeah. You know what, you know what they mean by that. And I, I feel like I've learned that the purpose of language is to communicate. And once I really got that in my head, it was so freeing, especially with, um, like being a learning Spanish as a second language and just knowing that no one actually cares if you're doing great. Like just (laughs) the the whole point is that they can understand you and you can understand them and that you, and and you're using language correctly. If you're, if you can do that. Mm -hmm. How has your experience been since signing your contract? Were there any kind of surprises along the way? Yes. And so this is where it actually gets pretty, um, this is where the journey gets a little bit interesting, like a roller coaster. So, like I said, when they bought the book, they weren't exactly sure like what the plan was going to be music-wise, and so it was. So I had a very fancy call with fancy people. Like maybe this is going to be this, and like so there at the beginning there was the possibility of it being a very big book, and so. At that point, they were like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to announce the book because we want to announce it when we have a cool narrator and we can say, ta-da, this is what we're doing and announce it all in one thing. And so it's like, okay, fine. Thinking, okay, that'll be a couple months. It's fine. They say that that's normal. You have to wait a little while. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then in February, you know, I'm waiting for my, for my edit letter to come in and I get a call from my editor and, um, or I get the the email from my editor with a new editor attached to saying, so we've brought on another editor. She's really amazing. She's going to be the one dealing with your edits. And I'm going to be the one directing the audiobook, basically, like kind of producing things on that end. 
And so I recognized the name. And so I sent my agent an email and I said, so Lauren, um, this new editor, um, didn't she reject this book when it was on submission? And also um, the last book that was on submission. And um, sure enough, yeah. So my new editor had rejected the book while it was on submission and also, you know, my previous book. But she was one of the editors who had always been like really supportive of me and really supportive of the work that I had done. And the edits that she made to my book were very similar to the comments that she had in her rejection. So we didn't see like any issue with that, but that I, when it happened, I was like very, very shocked. And so, um, I continued working on, um, the edits for that. And, you know, there was a, a pandemic and, um, turned those edits in and I don't really remember what happened with the book between, when I turned in the edits in the summer of 2020, but it still wasn't announced by spring of, or the winter of 2021. So 2021 starts, this book that I've had, you know, on that I've been working on and I've turned everything and I've done all my copy edits, I've done everything, still not announced. And that was really hard for me because mm-hmm. I was seeing other people who announced their books after mine or who maybe even like had started the entire process from query letter to after I had already gotten my book deal. Right. So I was seeing, I was, I was seeing this happen and people getting opportunities for conferences or anthologies. And um, it's, and there is a, you do from that, from that angle, you see that people do treat you differently if you have a, book announced. And if you don't, Mm -hmm. and it's not catty people, it's everybody. And part of that is that when you hear about someone's book, that sounds really good. You want to know, you, you want to make sure you're reading it. Like we're all readers too, as well as writers. So, um, it's, it's a natural thing, but I definitely felt it because I was for a year and a half, we hadn't announced the book, but so then, um, we announced the book. Um, and I was really excited to finally announce it. It was right after the winter storm in Texas, which is where I live. I was like really excited now that it's announced. I can finally like join groups of writers that are at the same stage as me, all of this. Um, so I was up, up like submitting to those and asking to join those. And I just like, remember, um, I was in an apartment complex with two cases of water under my my arms and like trying to balance food and trying to find the apartment of one of my clients, trying to, to help them through, through the winter storm. When I got a rejection um, from a group that is like, you know, known for being very like inclusive and, and, and caring and that a lot of my friends are in and um, you know, Oh, well your book is actually not a real book. So mm. we can't have you join because it's an audio book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think that for so long I had been like, okay, if I can finally announce it, I can finally announce it. Um, then I did. And I had told myself how cool it is and how cool the book is. And I knew how amazing it was going to be in that, um, even though it wasn't a print book. And so some of the, the dreams that I had for a book those dreams are going to be realized with other books in the future, right? Seeing it on a shelf, 
going to school visits, see, you know, seeing a kid reading in the library, that's going to be something that I, those are dreams that I'm going to achieve with future books. But um, I was f- feeling really excited about this book, but you know, other people will be like, no, it's not a real book. And you just have to kind of move on. So in this summers when they recorded the the music and everything like that, and um, I, hearing the music for the first time was so cool. I was able to hear all the songs um, before they were uh, like added to the the book, and it's all music that I wrote. But I'm I'm a, I guess a lyricist, so I it, it the idea was that if you've read books with music in it before. They're usually italicized. So the songs you put it, you have a song, it's kind of like a poem and it's italicized. And so a cool thing about being with Audible Originals is that part of my edits were adding new songs, which was really cool because I had an, a normal amount of songs for a print book, but I was able to add more songs for this audiobook. And um, I didn't mention before, but one of my edits was also rewriting the entire thing into past tense. Oh. <laughs> but that was a big deal too, because they were just still trying to figure out what to do about the, um, they're still trying to figure out what they wanted to do about the music. So they were like, why don't you rewrite the whole thing into past tense? And so I did. Um, but the way that the music ended up working out was perfect. And I love what, um, so the producers, so that they, they contracted some um, producers, Steve Hornest and um, Michelle Valenzuela and the 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 singers um Eli V and Annie Bosco and um it was just like really cool and then the book came out and I drove around listening um to it on the day it came out. So yeah. <laughs> nice, very nice. Yeah, I remember you and I had talked previously about uh the similar issue. My debut was with a, a smaller press that had national distribution, but it was still a smaller press. And I was denied entry into my debut book group yeah, because of that. And um, so the rejection never stops. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And it's when it's the kind of rejection that you're not expecting, it yeah. almost hurts a little more because it comes, it comes out of the blue. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. At least on submission or querying you, you're, you're kind of anticipating it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It is time for the quick round. It's called author DNA, just kind of classification. So we like to put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I'm a plotter. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? An underwriter by a lot. Do you tend to write better in the morning or at night? Yes. I pretend to write better in morning and night and then afternoons. It's really rough. When starting a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? I start with concept. Do you prefer coffee or tea? I prefer iced coffee and I like I like all types of tea, yeah. So so both. Yeah. When you're drafting, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? I can go either way, I think. I I do like coffee shops. I like being able to eavesdrop in the, the coffee shops. I don't listen to music necessarily like while I'm writing. But if I'm in if I'm in somewhere in public and there's um, there's noise, that's fine. But I can I can write in silence too. That doesn't bother me either. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I'm trying to be more of a get it right kind of person, just because I find revising really really challenging, and it's helpful to have as much the way I want it to be before I'm doing that. 
Um, and I have also noticed that I'm like my first drafts are usually like where most of the humor comes in mm. um, and the voice. Um, whereas like in revisions, I'm fixing plot stuff. Like if I if I revise for a joke, like I remember which jokes I've revised because that's how like view it is. So so yeah, I, I'm trying to get it right. We'll see how <laughs> we'll see how much that works. What tools or software do you use to draft? Um, I use Google Docs. I have Scrivener, but I'm still working on that learning curve. I use the Notes app of my phone a lot. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? I prefer drafting. And I got into writing because I was a reader and because I wanted to know what was going to happen next. So that's really just how I think about it. I don't know what's going to happen next until I write it. Mm -hmm. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Mostly in sequential order. Yeah. Final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an extrovert. Nice. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about the second cue of the podcast. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized? Did you overcome them? How did they shake out? I think I did worry about stuff not happening happening quickly enough or, you know, is this book even going to be relevant in however many years? You know, is someone else going to write the exact same thing as me and that's going to get published first? Mm. Yeah, I think that like not knowing the timeline, I think that did worry me. And the answer to all of that is yes. Like, yes, there is people who wrote books with like similar premises of, of my first, the book that I I I got my agent on, but didn't, um, didn't sell. And okay. So it's not the same book. And it's like, obviously if kids are going to like it, kid, kids are going to like it. So people are going to write about it, hopefully, because that's the goal for kid, children's literature. Unfortunately, kind of for, for us as humans, a lot of the issues are very cyclical or are always relevant. And so like for me, with Margarita and the Spotlight, kind of thinking about it in 2016, 2017, when I came up with it and when I wrote it, I was thinking kind of like, well, what if there's Oscars so white? Like I was thinking about the, the Oscars so white and I was thinking about country music and I was like, wait, is this too far-fetched? Like, is this something that could actually happen? But then, you know, after I had turned in my edits and my last round of edits, my editor um, had made a comment about, oh, you know, I don't think that kids these days would recognize, um, would understand like Darius Rucker. Like <laughs> that's not, that's very old. And so I did a bunch of research and just like sent it in huge emails to my <laughs> agent and my editors about um, the about country music. And like one amazing thing was like Mickey Guyton watching, watching her um, kind of move up um, through when I started writing the book, I didn't even know about her because she wasn't getting the kind of marketing or, or airtime that, that she deserved. And so I didn't even know about her when I started writing the book. And then when that, that summer, um, after I did my edits, I sent my editors, um, and my agent an interview that Mickey had done about country music and race and, it was almost verbatim a article that I had written, a pretend, a fictional article that I had written for my book. 
two or three years before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so these things, yes, times change and yes, you know, things come in waves, but unfortunately, like, un- unfortunately, like they come back and we're still grappling with issues that we were grappling with four years ago. Um, and so five years ago, we're, it, it, it comes back. And so it doesn't mean that your book is going to become dated because it's grappling with an issue um, that we as humans are always going to be dealing with and thinking about. Mm-hmm. All right. Now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? I think that it's a little bit intimidating looking at a blank page and it's also intimidating having just a bunch of documents where you have three pages and nothing else. (laughs) And so I've started writing the first like 15 or so pages of a book on my notes app of my phone. So it almost doesn't really count as writing time. I'm just like writing here or there and um, thinking of things. So that's the only time I would probably write something out of a sequential order is like if I'm trying a different beginning or if something really voicey comes to me and I'm just putting it in that notes app. Once I have like enough in there, then I can transfer it over to Google Docs and then I'm starting um, my book with kind of a nice chunk of of words already in there. Hmm. That's fun. When you were in the lowest parts of your writing journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I think what kept me going was just um, momentum, was that I was lucky enough to have some momentum behind me and think, okay, you know, I'm going to have this book come out and for my debut, you know, everything was already wrapped up and everything was already ready to go. So it wasn't like I had to do anything extra in order to publish the book. That that was um, in everyone else's hands by that point. So I was able to enjoy it and I tried my hardest to enjoy that book and, and I loved it. I, I love the book and I love um, just what the music and the narration and everything adds to it and singing. I just think that something I realized recently that was really helpful was the distinction that don't quit your day job is not writing advice. It's <laughs> financial advice. And that's great. I think we can all use more of that. However, it also means that for the people who are working, have been working in person with the public, with, you know, really heavy topics throughout all of this, and also trying to publish, it means that it's slowed down our careers. And I do think that, you know, in the next couple of seasons, we are going to be missing out from the canon, the works of educators and nurses and social workers, because, you know, they were busy taking care of the world and themselves and their families. And so writing had to take a backseat. And so um, I think realizing that don't quit your day job was not saying, oh yeah, you should be able to do everything. And also on top of that, you should be able to write really good books at the same rate that all of these other people are writing no, that's not what that advice is about at all. It's about, you know, wanting to make sure that we have health insurance and that we're not that people who are trying to get into writing don't think, okay, like, where do I sign up? How do I get a job? It's it's not it's not meant to make you feel uh, like you have to be able to to hold a very stressful 
on its own um, full-time job and also that you would be able to to do everything that that a writer can do. Um, so I think that was pretty freeing kind of realizing that very recently. <laughs> yeah. What were some of the mistakes that you made along the way that you might want to warn listeners about so maybe they don't make the same ones? So I would say once you're done listening to this podcast, you can go on to there's a pub talk live about finances. You can listen, you can watch that. Oh my gosh, the taxes. <laughs> Let's talk about when you can't join a debut group, which turns out I could have joined my degree, debut group before I before I uh, announced and I didn't realize that. But and, and my debut group has been really wonderful. But when you're isolated and for all intents and purposes on the internet, you're not, you know, you're just a normal person, but in your finances and in your, when it's time to do taxes, oh no, you have this new money that you need to figure out and that um, you have this contract that you're part of and all these things, but you haven't announced yet. So you can't really ask people for help. I tried that first year, like I tried going on a Facebook group and they were sort of just like, oh, well, read the archives. And I did, and there wasn't really anything. And then I asked a friend who lived in my city, like, well, what are you doing about taxes? But again, with, you know, different stages of life. So I just didn't know what to do. But the biggest thing, if you're not going to do anything else with your taxes, is if your agent sends you the tax, the tax form and it's for your whole advance, then you have to do write-offs because you need to write off your agent's fee. I think that would be the biggest thing is that on TurboTax, you have to pay extra if you want to write anything off. And so I thought, okay, well, all I got was this website. So then that's more than it costs to buy the part of TurboTax that writes everything off. No, 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 no. Because you, you have to, you have to, your agent's fee is a write-off. Some agencies, I believe, will separate it for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're not sure, then just ask your agent. That way you don't have to go back and fix your taxes a year later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the taxes, that was the, that was the biggest mistake that I wish that the listeners can save yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't follow after me. I do a pretty good job of tracking my expenses throughout the year. But this year I went back and I just looked at my credit card statement for like basically the whole year. And I found like $300 of write-offs that I've forgotten to put in from like Dropbox and different software and stuff. So yeah, definitely do that. Don't let those get away. Don't let the government get more money than they should. (laughs) No. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? Yeah. If you're pursuing publication... It's because you know that your work is worth reading and your story is worth sharing. And so own it and know that it's okay to brag about it and to be excited about it. And that was one of the most lovely things about working with collaborators on the um, audiobook because I can really actually enjoy the book. I know a lot of people won't read their books again after it's published, um, but I can be thinking about the beautiful narration and listening to the amazing songs and just really experiencing in that in that way. And so that's been really helpful for me to be able to talk up the book and explain how great it is because 
it's not hubris. I'm not just saying, oh, you know, I'm so wonderful. I'm so great. But if you can focus on something like how cool the characters are or how cool the story is or anything you love about the book, when you're pitching it to kids or to adults or whomever, you wanted people to read the story because otherwise you would have just written for yourself. So share share why you why they need to read it and don't feel like you have to be bashful or performatively shy about it. Like just be be happy and celebrate celebrate the the work that you did and what it brings to the bookshelf and what it brings to the canon. I love that. That's great advice. There are definitely going to be people who will try to make you feel bad for celebrating things and just don't let those people into your life, <laughs> basically. Yeah. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? So, of course, my agent has been incredible. And I was working with her for a long time before the book sold. And so I had been working with my agent for a very long time. And I didn't even know how she was on contracts. And so being able to just like trust her and see, oh, wow, it's a good thing that this person that I've been working with for three plus years now is really good at contracts by the time she needs to do a contract because that works out really well. And so she's just really talented and really good at what she does. So that's been amazing. The writing community, I've made some really amazing friends. Um, Mira Trahan, um, who I mentioned before, who we met through um, a writing writing competition and there was one year where I did not have a laptop and so I wrote almost uh exclusively on a borrowed laptop um and this was after I was agented so um I want to thank my friend Pablo for letting me borrow his laptop (laughs) for for most of that year um I've had friends who read over the Spanish and um, made sure that things flowed in terms of like just is this the word they would use in conversation or is this, does this kind of make sense for this situation? Um, so that was really helpful. My editors, Heather and Jess, and everyone who worked on the book, including the singers and the um, narrator and the um, music and just different people along the way. Uh, Joy McCullough did a um, CP match one summer. And so she matched me with Gail Villanueva, which was really awesome. And she helped me work on this book and and put this and and, and help me with edits with this. So a lot of different people um, to be thankful for. And thank you for this opportunity because my book doesn't have acknowledgements in it. And so that was like one (laughs) thing that um, I was like, oh, no, I have so many people to thank. And I, so I'm so exciting to finally have an acknowledgement section. (laughs) Nice. And it's audio, which is perfect. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Since we didn't hear about Marguerite in the Spotlight, do you want to tell us a little bit about that book before you go? Yes. So Marguerite in the Spotlight is a middle grade audiobook about a girl, Marguerite, who is the backup singer in her stepsister's country band. And she is okay being the backup. She's okay playing the banjo in the back. This is all about her stepsister. However, when a racial, racial reckoning hits country music, all of a sudden, Margarita gets thrust into the spotlight without her, you know, without her approval because she is part Latina. And that's not a part of herself that she knows very much. And she's been raised by white people and with white people. So so she has to figure out who she is and what she wants in front of the whole world. 
And it comes with original songs, like I mentioned in the interview, and they are so, so good. I think that's a really cool, cool way. It's set in the country music world. And so you get to hear some country music that I wrote the lyrics for. um, And I just love it. Awesome. All right, Maria, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Maria's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.